podcast is coming from inside the house. This is our very first episode, and we're excited to bring you the best of 2018 horror movie trailers that are coming out this year, as well as speaking about Women in History or Women in Horror Month. And also, we're going to have an interview with our very own FX makeup artist, Tori, today. Without any further ado, I'd like to go ahead and introduce everybody to our wonderful panel of hosts here. We have Tori. Hello. And John. Hey. And our very own morbid hippie, Leanne. Hello. So, for everybody who doesn't know, February is Women in Horror Month. So, we're going to highlight all the wonderful contributions that women have made to horror throughout the years, as well as highlight some of our very own uh, female hosts we have here, Tori and Leanne, and the contributions that they're making. Horror uh, is actually one of those genres that you know, when most people think about women in horror, the first thing you think of is the big blonde bimbo in four-inch stilettos in the middle of the woods for some unexplicable reason in her evening cocktail gown running around and tripping over trees and somehow losing ground to the menacing monster, you know, knife-wielding, terrible thing that, no matter what happens, catches up to her and hacks her head off, and at the end of it, you're like, wow, she was dumb. But as a matter of fact, that's actually a pretty, uh, first of all, sexist, but <laughs> more importantly than that, <laughs> it's just untrue. Um, women have actually had like really significant uh, impacts and, and have been able to move through the horror genre uh, more so than they have in some of the other genres that we've seen in, in film. Uh, John, I know, you know, it's our resident historian over here, can, can really kind of highlight some of the, uh, the amazing lead roles that women were able to take in in this horror genre before they were taking leads in, in any other sort of cinema cinematography for example like i said there's gloria halton who played in dracula's daughter in 1936 which was the sequel to dracula with bella Lugosi. the problem is she was a, a back in the studio system where an actress or an actor had to be assigned to whatever movie the studio said it was so they signed her to play the lesbian vampire countess dracula a role she utterly despised she played the role with such self-loathing that she influenced other self-loathing vampires, like say Edwards and from Twilight, which I'm sure, God. which is I'm sure Tori's favorite vampire <laughs> growing up, you know. Screw you. But anyhow, <laughs> I mean, it's like they got they got Ingrid Pitts, they got the uh, Barbara Steele, all these uh, different actresses over the years and like the '60s that played against the archetype. There's been like roles that significantly goes back. You're talking generations where women. Contributed other than just the dumb bimbo who gets sliced up by the psycho. You know, it's one of the things there too that, uh, it, for for better or for worse, uh, you know, the the antagonist role has actually been important for females too, and, and they were able to break out with some really like impactful and meaningful roles in horror. I know in you know the movie Misery, for example, you have this female lead who you know, finds this this author who got into a car crash. Takes her into, uh, takes him into her house and sits there. And first, you're like, "Oh wow, you know, she's going to be this caring, nurturing nurse type figure and get him back into health." Nope, she's actually a psychopathic fan of his literature and is going to hold that guy hostage and torture the hell out of him 
until he changes the book ending that she didn't like, which, you know... We're <laughs> <laughs> late to that, though. <laughs> anybody, anybody who's ever read a, uh, an author's book that you really love, and then all of a sudden the ending comes and it disappoints the hell out of you. We've all been there before, right? Were you like, well, maybe if I could just chain that guy up in the basement, he could rewrite this thing and be a whole lot better. Oh, cool. we need mm-hmm. sledgehammers on the, on the ankles. Come on, that, that's the, oh, I mean, get the proper enthusiasm to get the proper ending, you know? Oh, dear God. <laughs> that's a key point. And uh, you had mentioned... Dracula's daughter. Well, I just happened to look it up on Wikipedia, and they mentioned that the um, what is his name, Sheridan Le Fanu novel Carmilla, mm-hmm. which is about a female vampire that pre- actually predated Bram Stoker's book. They said by more than twenty five years, which is kind of crazy. I well, never knew that. Yeah, I mean the implied lesbian little Victorian era. I mean that they did stuff that what amazes me about about horror fiction, right? They, they do stuff, they say stuff that they could not do in regular literature. Uh, you, you discuss sort of stuff that, like, say, lesbianism, uh, say, uh, more darker aspects of human uh, personalities, you know, like, you know, Penny Jeffers also did the same thing, where they always did it more hard. They covered social issues and s- stuff that would they would never cover in regular novels. Like, Charles Dickens won't be writing about stuff like this, for example. You know, that's, that's really kind of one of the things that highlight with horror in general, and, and probably why it's actually been a moving uh, aspect for, for, for women, is that it does, it touches on the taboo. Yeah, you know, and, and the the fact that you 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 take things that are in every human's mind, and then it is on the social conscience, but you're able to wrap it around the idea of the terrifying or the monster or the paranormal or you know things that are that are beyond the scope of, of normal and decent society, uh, that allows you to to start injecting things that that aren't socially acceptable into your literature or into your film, and then cover it under the guise of hey, this is the genre that we're in. Because you're addressing the monstrous, and at the end of the day, it's just a book. It's just a movie. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they have to slide stuff in. They wouldn't slide in regular literature because of the social morals of the time. It's much more flexible as a genre. Yeah, it definitely is. It's like I'm thinking of a more immediate example, the movie Teeth, which I, <laughs> I, I, know, which I, I know Tori likes. I love that movie. If, oh. if, if you haven't seen <laughs> that movie, it's, a, it's about vagina dentata. So it's, all right, all right. I, I want to emphasize the point that, or the fact that it's it's a serious movie. It is. But it's so funny to, to me. I find it so hilarious. Well, I think uh, definitely... Unless you're a guy. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's even funnier because she's she's living next to a nuclear power plant. And that sort of implied that that has something to do with her <clears throat> special condition. And Which is why everybody should actively take a role in trying to combat climate change, apparently. Because... <laughs> yeah. Well, come on, she... <laughs> well, she always she... the nuclear power debate. <laughs> Well, also the fact that she's um, like a, a Christian promise keeper mm-hmm. in the movie. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> a lot of it's, it's so it's, funny. It becomes sort of an expression of like her inner conflict about sexuality. So I don't. Know. I tried to take the movie seriously. It was, they 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 tried to pass it off as a serious movie, and I'm just like, this is not serious it's, at all. It's not one way. Like it's definitely like a blend of like there's some really dark comedy in there. Oh yeah, it's definitely dark comedy. Definitely. You know, the other thing is too is. It's, out of moving out of cinema as well. I mean, the the author of Frankenstein, right? She was a she was a group member of a, a group of writers, and that's one of the most iconic uh, pieces of, of, of horror cinema that there really is, exists today. And it was a groundbreaking back in the day as well too. But you know, a lot of people probably don't think of uh, Frankenstein if you're not familiar with the with the book behind it and think, okay, well that's female influence. And if I'm not mistaken, Mary Shelley's mother was sort of a, a well known 
activist. I think both of her parents were. Yes. Mary Wollstonecraft. Yeah. Mary She fights the women. That was yeah. her thing. She, she sure uh, did. Back back in the age of enlightenment, a woman couldn't even you know couldn't do anything without their husband's permission, essentially. Yeah. You know, I didn't even know that Frankenstein was written by a woman until I saw like some. A uh, picture go viral about how it was written by a woman, and people don't know that. And I was like, even I didn't know that. Right, it's one of those things too that, on top of everything else, the, what we see in cinema just happens to be nowadays that that's what we remember it as. Well, mm-hmm. really, what that is is an example of a guy saying, "Wow, that was a really good story. I'm going to produce this as a piece of film," and essentially, I'm not going to give credit to the actual <laughs> creator behind it, which because it was inspired mm-hmm. by a piece of not even inspired in this case, but straight just ripped off. You know, and um, it also gives you uh, a lot of keys as to, you know, women back in the day had to write under nom de plumes a lot of times in order to even be taken seriously mm-hmm. because it wasn't a woman's place to, to be uh, a writer. It wasn't a woman's place to be, you know, an author. So really, it, it's it's a great example of how we can jump off uh, from horror and how the, the culture of horror has actually helped to advance, you know, women's rights uh, throughout you know, all the way back from literature and then throughout film recently as well. Now, I'd also be remiss to say that uh, we have, obviously, two wonderfully, exceedingly talented female hosts here on uh, Pick 5th. So, especially given the fact that it's uh, Women in History Month uh, for, for Tori, who we're actually going to have an interview with at the end of the show today uh, about her mm-hmm. FX makeup, uh, as well as Leanne, who is now taking an active role in being a part of a indie local horror film that we're shooting here in the Fayetteville area. So just take a uh, take a minute, if you guys would, and just kind of talk about horror, what you've done, uh, and, and you know your personal contributions there too. Because it's, we could talk about the past all day long, and, and that's good stuff to understand the the context. But you know, let's also highlight the 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 impacts that that women are having nowadays too, and, and with what we're doing. So we were talking about earlier how uh there are women uh who play the lead role like the big not a uh, not a bimbo hero in horror films i don't look up to him i actually really look up to amanda even though she was tortured by jigsaw and she got out of the trap and she's living and she has these mental scars she instead of being a victim she took it and turned it into an apprenticeship and i'm like who in their right mind would do that and then i look back at myself and i'm like yeah me (laughs) (laughs) but i I really look up to her because i'm just like wow you went through all of that and instead of trying to prosecute this guy that did that to you you instead became his apprentice like that's just mind-blowing to me and you know the whole thing with the the saw series in general is that the, the antagonist or the villain there really, at the end of the day, they, they do exhume a lot of sympathy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, intentionally, they put these people into situations where you say, well, were they put into this situation against a will? Yes, but is it for their betterment and, and are they going to learn from mm-hmm. it? So it, it's kind of asking one of those deeper issues of, you know, it, it's a, essentially a little bit of a Stockholm syndrome thing there in the sense yeah. that if you make it through this then you're going to come out a better person. And, and she's a good example of somebody who came out there and uh, through the ultimate form of mansplaining him. But <laughs> 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 he said, hey, well, you're going to die if you don't if you don't learn from this. And she did. And, and then it took over and, and essentially uh, furthered the genre, furthered the, uh, yeah. the, the the killings and kept, kept his legacy alive. She mentioned many a times that 
John had saved her life. And she and she legitimately loved John. And John loved her too. But that led to her ultimate demise sure. in the third movie. Absolutely. It was a good end, and it's a sympathetic one too. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of one of the things you want to get. There, there's a lot of examples of a bad horror out there, but I, I think when they truly are good is when at the end of a movie, the monster dies or the monster is defeated or you know the the antagonist goes down, and you you sit back and think for a second, like, huh, mm-hmm. I actually kind of feel sorry for that guy mm-hmm. a little bit. Or I feel sorry for them. What I find interesting is, especially with horror movie, good the history of it, a lot lot of. Uh, Good roles are for women. I mean, they, they make as antagonists. I mean, and especially in the, back in the older days, let's say from 30s to the 60s, you know, women were basically supposed to be eye candy. Some of the best roles were uh, villains for women. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, Carmilla, right? Mm-hmm. Hammer in late seven or early late 60s, early 70s produced a bunch of films with Edgar Pitt, where she plays the vampire Carmilla. Where she, she basically, you know, she was in fact, she was the only, she was so good at it, she was the only female lead that was actually like with Peter Crash and Christopher Lee, they were under contract with Hammer. I mean, all the others were just bit payers, and she, she was actually under contract to play the vampire, uh, vampires. And what I always found fascinating about it is, like I say, all the, I always, I guess, like you say, you know, I get tired of the dumb bimbo who trips over herself and gets sliced, I mean, but I always liked, I always attracted the strong women in the role. I mean, like the Countess Dracula's or the, uh, actresses who play Elizabeth Bathory are all, all, all strong female because they have, they say, the coolest lines. They have all the strong roles, strong... Even though, you know they're going to die at the end a lot of times, they have all the you know, good... The meaty roles? Meaty roles, as as good way to put it. The Ellen Ripley's and the, the Laurie Strode's, the Wild oh, yeah. oh, oh, yes, like yes, that, yes. And I cannot remember, one of my favorite favorite movies is, uh, I think I mentioned it last episode, is um, uh, Your Next... Oh yeah, that, yep. that was pretty great. This the tiny girl turns turns the, the situation on its head and starts. Yeah, the survival is not decides to take out everybody. It's, <laughs> it's total man. It's like ninety pound girl. So they got the psycho. Yeah, they got the notch. You know the other thing is too is that uh, you know here just between all of us uh, and part of the reason why why we wanted to create this is just to have a really good balance here too because uh, you know. A lot of a lot of podcasting and a lot of the podcasts you hear out there are overrepresented. It seems uh, by males. Uh, that's not a good or a bad thing. It's just mm-hmm. it just happens to be a thing. Uh, and you know, to me, it's really important to bring a diversity of opinion and a diversity of experiences into uh, into these because you know, yeah, we're, we're doing this of course to entertain all of you guys out there, and, and we hope you want to keep listening to us. But we want to make sure that that this turns into something that's more than just, hey, we're going to sit here and watch a movie and tell you what we think about it and, and really kind of get a, a diverse group of opinions uh, and have a real earnest discussion about what's going on and our feelings for it. And I think we accomplished that because we're all very sort of different people, very we're different age groups, different backgrounds, different interests, but we're all sort of united by this wonderful blood-dripping umbrella of horror. <laughs> Knowing all of you guys has made me watch a lot of horror movies that normally, if I were, if I didn't know you guys, I would not have watched these movies. Like what? Hellraiser, last night. Oh, which which one? First and second. Hi. Okay, okay. Yeah, you watched both too? Mm-hmm. I actually think that's uh, probably a perfect segment in here into uh, what we're going to be talking about next mm-hmm. in our show. Uh, we have selected for you guys uh, eight different trailers of horror movies that are coming out in 2018. 
Uh, general format here is that each one of our hosts got to pick two. We all had to watch them. Uh, some of them picked terrible ones, and some of them picked good ones, and I'll let you know how I feel about that. Of course he will. <laughs> uh, but we're going we're gonna to discuss them, uh, go through there, and kind of give a, uh, you know, Give a give a good example or a good diverse uh, look at what's coming up over the the next year here and what we're excited about seeing and what we're kind of throwing our eyes at that they're even decided to produce. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to let Tori go first here, uh, and the first movie she selected for us is Meg. So the Meg, or otherwise known as Meg, which is what I'm going to call it, it comes out August 10th of this year. It's uh, about a deep sea diver who is recruited by a Chinese uh, oceanographer. I think that's what the term is. Yeah. So (laughs) a Chinese oceanographer recruits a uh, deep sea diver to go and rescue the crew that is uh, trapped inside of a uh, deep sea submersible that was attacked in the uh, Mariana Trench by a big, 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 huge creature. Bigly creature. Bigly creature. One of the best creatures. It was so bigly, it was good. It was huge. Office. Trust me. Huge. It was huge. <laughs> so I am super excited to see this movie. Um, I read the book that was written by Steve Alton, which is what the movie is based on. And based on a book? Yes, it's based on a book. And I absolutely loved it. It's such a good book. Question here. Hmm. You said deep sea submersible. Yes. Would that also be a submarine or? No, Pat. It's not a submarine at all. Okay. Good. I didn't know. I <laughs> I'm waiting for the part of the movie where the Kraken comes out or we get to meet Cthulhu here or something like that. But so far, it's not. I'm just Leave not it really on. It's released. Release the Kraken. Megalodon. Megalodon's a prehistoric shark. Hey. Talk about getting a bigger boat, right? Oh, yeah. Quick question, though. Huh. Okay, so I watched a trailer where it was about a Saudi prince who was trying to build a giant aquarium. Is this the same movie? No. And they're going, like, deep sea No, the that. trailer that I linked, I don't... It says that it's for the 2018 movie, but I don't think that was the correct trailer. Okay. From other sources that I've read, there is no trailer. Yet. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the deep, in-depth discussion that we're going to have here. Everybody watched the trailer that Tori posted for us to the watch. Yes. That was the wrong trailer for the wrong movie. And now we're it was all the only trailer that I could find. Okay, all right, listen. You know what? <laughs> wait, wait, when you don't have the right trailer for the thing you want to talk about, just post any random bullshit on there. And listen here, and, sir. And then drop it all on us later. Good job. <laughs> watch it. Listen, I googled the Meg 2018 horror movie, and that's the trailer that popped up. Okay, don't blame me, blame Google. Okay, what what could possibly go wrong in a podcast where we're supposed to discuss a trailer that we all watched watched before you came here? You're like, hey, by the way, everybody, this is the first time she's dropped this on us, by the way. All the show prep, nothing else, no, nobody told us. No, no, listen. I even said, I don't think this is the right trailer, but it's the one that I came up, so I posted it anyway. Can I just point out that that means there's more than one movie about giant sharks Sharks. in deep sea exploration, like, within the last year? What would uh, Steven Spielberg say? I mean, come on. (laughs) It's his idea. In a world where Triceratops is on a submarine (laughs) going after a shark. Okay, I'd watch that. I would pay matinee prices for that. Please, Tori, go ahead and continue with the movie that none of us have seen the actual trailer for that we're going to discuss here. That's all, if you would. If you don't like the trailer that I posted, then go read the book then. 
Ooh. I'm going to go ahead and say the book was better than the trailer, because at least it was about where you're supposed to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the movie yet, and apparently nobody else here has either. So, I mean, well, the it comes out, we can get together, you know? So this movie uh, will be starring Jason uh, Statham, Ruby Rose, Rain Wilson, among other uh, actors and actresses. Good cast. Uh, right? Um, as much as I loved the book, and as, as excited as I am to see this movie, I believe that it'll be very disappointing. I feel like I will be disappointed. Compared I'm already to disappointed. <laughs> Can I just say? You're never gonna let me live this down, are you? I even posted and said that I don't think this is the right trailer, but watch it anyway. And you did. You fell for it. Well, what you gotta do is just watch Jaws again. Hey, same premise, right? <laughs> now, if you would, please, I'm gonna give a three-minute well-spoken rebuttal about the movie that none of us have actually seen or heard of or that doesn't exist on here. <laughs> well, use your, your your imagination to imagine the trailer. Okay. Exactly. Is the book more like a Michael Crichton type of thing? Like a like Jurassic Park, like approaching it from the scientific point of view? Like, maybe yes, realistic? it is. Um, I started reading the book and I didn't think I was going to like it hardly at all. But yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, there was a lot of Megalodon. It was <laughs> a lot of megalodon, <laughs> figuratively and literally. Um, so this book, after I finished it, led to a conversation between me and my husband, Levi, whether or not megalodon still existed. And I totally believe they still exist. They're still out there. I can guarantee it. I, 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 can, I personally cannot guarantee it, but you, you said you could guarantee it. Yeah, I, I guarantee it. They say that um, you see a, t- a tooth wash up to the shore after like tsunamis and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, big tooth. Mm-hmm. Not another regular, regular big tooth as opposed to regular, say, shark. But Tori, how can, one. But Tori, how can you guarantee that Megalodon still exists? Hello? There's a shit ton of the ocean that we've never explored. And Megalodons live at the bottom of the deepest parts of the ocean. Of course, like if we haven't yeah. explored it, of course we're not going to know if they're there or not. I totally believe they still exist. The book is so good. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. But I feel like I'm going to be disappointed, like like the Maximum Ride Netflix movie disappointed me. What's the Maximum Ride Netflix? So, it, really? Yeah. By James Patterson? Oh my God! There's five. I think there's five books. <laughs> I. It's about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's listening to this right now and there's currently a missing persons report out for me, I I believe we all know what evidence to turn into the police department. So the so the Maximum Ride series, it's a series of five books, I believe, by James Patterson. And it's about uh, six. It's about a group of uh, kids that are that whose DNA was crossed with avian DNA. So they have wings and they have to. Uh, they have to hide and run away from the school, which is the people trying to uh, do experiments on them and try to kill them. Uh, long story short, I read these books in elementary and middle school, and I've been waiting for a good Maximum Ride movie for years, along among many, many other fans of the Maximum Ride uh, novels. We've been waiting for a movie for so long, and then there was a Maximum Ride movie that came out on Netflix. And it was so low budget and so bad and so disappointing. I was mad. And I feel like that's how Meg is going to be. I had a question. So on a scale of like 
Birdemic to an Oscar-winning movie? How bad was this movie? <laughs> That's the right. It should not exist. Birdemic. Mm. It doesn't deserve anything. It should not exist. Miles on the fate level? Bad? Oh, it's bad. Is it bad enough that it's good? No. <laughs> it's just bad. <laughs> it's just bad. It's terrible. So no one you'll watch it again sometime soon, right? Oh, hell no. I was not able to sit through that. I was not through. I was not able to sit through the rest of that movie. It was making me so mad how bad it was. And I feel like that's a little about how Meg is going to turn out. Maybe a little bit better than the Maximum Ride movie, but still disappointing. Well, I mean, if the trailer is any indication of how the movie's going to be. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Given all the information that we know... Uh, we're all going to come out of here, and there's going to be a rating system for each one of these trailers. It's going to be, would see it in theaters, going to wait for Netflix, or uh, I'll pass. Uh, Tori, seeing how you, you are the one who brought us this enlightening movie, which we know nothing <laughs> <laughs> uh, And given which all one? The, the, the great depth of information we now have on it, well, what would you rate it? I will see it in theaters. Okay. Oh, okay. Awesome. So a movie that even is going to disappoint you, we're going to see it in theaters. Mm-hmm. I okay. will. John? Uh, Netflix, I'm cheap. John is cheap. Uh, (laughs) Also, guys, just know that Social Security doesn't afford you the ability to see many things in movies. (laughs) (laughs) Leanne? I think this is a, um, I'm going to wait until it comes out on broadcast five years from now. (laughs) (laughs) Comment shows it on the weekends. Uh, Something you're drinking late at night, drinking a beer, you know, you know. Skins a lager and a couple lagers, and you feel better, and you watch it then, right? Indeed, indeed. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up and say that uh, I would certainly see this in movie theaters, uh, based upon just the the good in depth analysis that we gave here, and that's what you can hope and expect from us here at Pick Fifth. You definitely need to read the book. I highly recommend it. It's so good. It's a movie so good you should probably just read the book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up with our second movie is going to be John reviewing the summer of '84. The movie I chose, the summer of '84. It's basically it's about the old trope about the the strange the creepy neighbors. There's a bunch of teenagers back in 1984 where where they what happens is there's a serious serial killer in the town and the kids think it was one of their neighbors and obviously they try to you know find find out who it is they spy on them. Well, that was sort of a mixed feeling towards the movie, actually. I mean, it looked interesting. Uh, of course, being from the 80s uh, as a kid, I, I had the nostalgia kick. <laughs> okay, first of all, <laughs> you're not fooling anybody here. Was it? You were a kid from the 80s, John, all right? You, he, he means he had kids in the 80s. That's why he was like, oh, my God, all right. But please, please go ahead. Right? <laughs> you, you do realize that we have websites and those social media. Everybody gets to see this, and there's no way anybody's going to believe that. All right, so we got summer of 
from rear window all the way down where it's like they got a, a genre movie where they got the, the stranger moves in and he's a killer or whatever and mm-hmm. the thing is I like the 80s nostalgia because from that era however it's been done before I mean I, I could probably it's one of these deep movies where I could probably I could probably watch it like I say Netflix or something but like I said not necessarily I mean I'm necessarily seeing the theater but my main concern is like it's been like I say it's been done before be, be like uh, they have the stock characters. I mean, I'm sure they have the fat kid, the nerd. I mean, it's unfortunate. It's going to be like stereotypical. It's like a dark version of the Goonies. Basically, essentially, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is definitely what it is. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Can I just say, like, I totally got that nostalgic vibe too. Like, it, it made me think of Stand by Me. Yes, like the kids yes, yes. Involved, involved yeah. in like some sort of gruesome mystery, but it meant, like, they're going to look at the dead body and stand like me. But in a it also like sort of seemed like it touched on um, the mistrust of authority and like, yeah, that, that too, yeah. The moment that kids realize that adults aren't necessarily really good. who they seem they are, yeah, they don't yeah. know what's going on or. Yeah, well, what kills me about it is they got they got a, they got a brother sister team that was part of the director on it. They the only other claim to fame is they produce a Canadian that kids we call Turbo Kid. I mean, it's like it's kind of you know weird, you know. It's like it's one of these deals where it's. Step up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still. Step up. Yeah, but still, you know, I mean, like I say, it's like, it's not quite what you call a big budget. It's more of these, like, low-budget things, I believe. It's like, which I, don't get me wrong, I like low-budget films because, for example, I mean, some we had, we had some great low-budget films come with creative ideas, but, I mean, granted. I mean, the Blair Witch Project comes to mind. Yeah, that's definitely, definitely. Ultra, ultra low-budget low film, film that yeah. is broken into and shattered and, like, created its own genre within the entire horror community. Yeah, the old uh, stop, uh, found footage stuff, which Tori would know all about, right? You know, we... <laughs> <laughs> now, it didn't, it didn't create found footage, but it definitely popularized it. Yeah, definitely, yeah. But it came yeah. a Holocaust with found footage, essentially, yeah, yeah. or mockumentary. All right, then. So, summer of 84, see it in theaters, wait for Netflix or a... Eh. Uh, probably between Netflix and Ash, you know. I mean, like I said, I might like to see the nostalgia thing, but like I say, my part problem is I've seen um, I've seen a bunch. Like I said, I've seen occasionally I catch a real window on t- term classic movies, so I know I know I know basically the plot line. Of course, then again, occasionally late night you might see you may catch uh, Body Double, Fright Night, of course, with Rod McDowell as the, as the horror show host. I mean, like I said, they've done it before. I mean, if they do, if it's well done, sure. But like I say, they've been. It's like after a while you see start seeing movies over and over again. You, you know the plot before you know it's even they're predictable. <laughs> All right, Tori. Uh, I'm kind of with John on this one about waiting between Netflix or uh, about being in between waiting for it to come out on Netflix and just not seeing it at all. I, I have to agree with him on uh, predictability. I hate when movies are predictable. Ditto. Yeah. And Agreed. and like you said, if it's if the type of story has been done over and over and over, it's just why you know. And I'll say this too: uh, for summer of '84, is one of those things where when we watched the trailer that was posted, you kind of feel like you just spent the last four minutes seeing the entire movie. Yeah, basically, yeah, <laughs> essentially, kids running around on bikes, chase, being chased by whoever the unknown killer is, you know, etc. I do feel like they're living in, uh, or they're trying to make the movie in the shadow of Stranger Things, and it's just not going to be what people expect. Yeah, no, it's not, not, no, it won't be that good. Mm-hmm. All right, Leanne? Um, now, I do appreciate the nostalgia factor, and it did, I told John, it made me think of the movie The Burbs, and it's interesting that he referenced Roddy McDowell, because Roddy McDowell was also in The Burbs. So maybe that movie was sort of a throwback to the, Never trust your neighbors. <laughs> yeah, the strange neighbor moved next door is the killer. You know, fill in the blank. But I, I mean, it's, for me, it's definitely a watch on Netflix, if at all, because if I'm gonna 
watch a movie about people discovering the CD dark side of life, it's going to be Blue Velvet. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, <laughs> definitely yes. We're going to go whole hog. So. Yeah, might as well do it right, right? Get yep. a good movie. Yeah. Get a top tour from as opposed to, say, bottom feeder stuff. I'm going to break with everybody here, and I'm going to actually say that this is definitely a Netflix movie for me. And the reason being is because I feel like Netflix is a great repository of I have no desire to see anything good right now, but I want to just... I mean, everybody's been there where he was like, you know, let's watch a really bad movie that we, A, don't have to pay much attention to, B, we can make fun of the entire time, oh. and C, like, at the end of it, it's at least going to be worth a few laughs. And that's what I'm thinking of for this movie. It, it's gonna There's going to be some ha-ha moments, and the rest of it's going to be eye-rolling, but probably good conversation to sit down with, you know, enjoy some popcorn with, with your loved one or your significant other, and sit there and just... Not really have to pay attention for, mm-hmm. for good, easy watching. Mystery Science Theater 3000. Bro. Are you saying that if you were to go see it in theaters, <laughs> is it definitely one of those movies where you would just make out the entire time with whoever you're on a date with in the oh, back of the yeah. theater? That's only if DB comes with me. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> I got the papers. It's actually a pretty good call, Victoria. Uh, it's so probably well. one of those movies that's designed for the, the, the 13 to 17 crowd to sit down <laughs> in and, like, hey, yeah. uh, uh, did that totally scare you, baby? Yeah. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like that's going to happen a lot. Yeah, yeah. Did it scare you in your pants? That, ladies and gentlemen, was a summer of 84. <laughs> all right, movie number three is from yours truly. And one of the movies I think is just going to break all blockbuster records. Truth or dare. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Bold statement. All right, this is one of those movies that I am picking because it's going to be fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about this movie screams it's going to be one of the worst things that you could ever do in horror. And I would like to let everybody know right now, the same people who produced The Purge produced this movie, and they're trying to give it that kind of feel. It's going to be a bad movie. Uh, truth or dare. Let me go ahead and just break it down here real quick for you. In a world where 20-something college students are at the library for some unexplicable reason, a game of Truth or Dare breaks out. What happens next? People play Truth or Dare. And then... Demons. That is pretty much where we are at with this movie here. You sit there and you watch the trailer, and it's like, oh wow, great. These guys are going to sit there and they're going to play truth or dare and then people start dying and then, oh my god, you have to give a truth or you have to give a dare. Otherwise, something's going to come through there and it's going to kill you. Oh, this is terrible. No. This movie's going to be junk, but this movie is, <laughs> is this movie is everything that is wrong with horror because of the fact that I feel like they're trying to make a really good horror movie when they realize like it should have just been a really bad horror movie and make it light. Because... <laughs> A la Army of Darkness. You know what? By the time we got to Army of Darkness, we knew that, like, it was more funny than it was scary. So, like, let's just go ahead and roll the jokes on there and let's go ahead and let's make this thing fun. It's going to be funny. Ha, 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 ha. There's some skulls and demons and things like that. No, no. They completely screwed that up with this one and they're going to go for seriousness. And I'm telling you right now that if you go to this movie theater and you watch this movie, I promise you, you will be sitting next to only teenagers who are sitting there and have nothing better to do than trying to make out with one another. Say, hey girl, how you doing? Uh, huh? Is the movie scary to you? I'm getting kind of scared here. You want some popcorn? 
<laughs> but from what I've already heard, Tori does not agree with me. I at don't. All. I don't. Not? Well, I, I agree with you in the sense that it's going to be a bad horror movie. I think it'll be a bad horror movie for horror, like true horror people, people like us. However, it's going to be a good horror movie to the mainstream population, to people who don't regularly watch horror like we do, who fought, who found that um, movies like, oh, let's see. The Purge. The Purge. Yeah. <laughs> like they found that the scary. The yeah. people that found, found that scary, but we didn't, I feel like it's going to be another one of those situations where it's going to be absolutely terrible to us, but it's... It's going to be very popular amongst non-horror-loving people. And I expect that I will love it for some reason. Don't you think, though, that The Purge was intentionally made to be silly as hell, though? I mean, it was one of those movies where like, everybody's like, Oh, this is so funny. Wouldn't it be great if there was a purge? <laughs> I'd be totally a badass, and I'd be one of the people I was... No, you won't. No, you won't. You know what? The Purge really caught my attention i thought it was interesting but the first one is like the only one that i like it's a really good concept i love the plot it's not as good as it could have been but this movie i'm telling you it's it's the the idea is so damn ridiculous that they can't possibly have uh they can't possibly have a good plot because there is no plot to it i mean everybody sitting around playing truth or dare it has everything that a classically bad horror movie contains we talked about this earlier in the episode talk about the women in horror month right this movie features the stereotypical girls are like oh well truth or dare would be really good to play <laughs> it's so fun because we're in college and now is our time to experiment Woo. oh i dared you to kiss him <laughs> that's so great oh you're dead no. <laughs> a terrible fucking movie plot there I get Final Destination vibes with the sense that, like, you know, in Final Destination, it was like, death's not going to stop until everyone's dead. But I, I I feel like it's the same. I feel like I'm going to find it really funny. And... Unintentionally funny? What? Unintentionally funny? No. Well, maybe. <laughs> I could say, I'm on the fence. Like, I don't think it's necessarily going to be hot garbage, but I have... I have so little patience for this type of movie mm-hmm. where the, the like college age kids go on the weekend together or go do some group activity and die. And they it's like a mixture of the ring and the and the book chain letter. Is he any of like you kids of the eighties and nineties read chain letter where these kids are responsible for uh, a death and they all start receiving bizarre letters that force them to do weird things <clears throat> that are dangerous and awful and Side note for our Milano audience, Chain Letter was actually about people who use the Postal Service, which is still in existence nowadays and requires a 34 cent, or maybe 36 cent now, who knows. No I thought it was like 40 something. They do change sure. again. Yeah. Why don't they just send an email? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is in the day snail mail. Snail mail. I think, I, think, I guess a comparison to that book would be um, Pretty Little Liars. I seem like might have been based on that. But no, I. I don't think this is going to be necessarily hot garbage, but, uh... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so you could see, like, I don't know, there's a chance for them to build tension if, in the beginning, when you realize there's all these weird relationships that's going on with the, the kids and they're talking about, like, oh, she's in love with him and and what are your intentions towards her? Like, they could have played that up. I don't know. We haven't seen, haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm, I'm just sort of, I'm suspicious. No, what you're saying, it was, it might, <laughs> you're saying it might suck after all, you know? Uh, I'm on the fence. <laughs> Let me tell you what creeped me out about it and what hooked me on it. So, I'll t- I- I'm willing to make this public. I am a 
Don't Hold on one second. No, this is don't Confessions even. by Tori. <laughs> I am a, uh, I suffer from automatonophobia, which is the phobia of um, things that are supposed to represent a living thing, but they're inanimate objects. For example, some people are affected by dolls. For me, it's wax figures and mannequins and robots. I don't like them. Um, I've always, uh, I've always been, uh, I've always been scared of the, of uh, things like that. Especially, there's a museum, there's a museum back home, and uh, there's uh, you go into like this one part where it's about uh, the Native Americans, and it's a big giant mammoth. I love that mammoth. However, <laughs> pro mammoth to, <laughs> to the to the immediate right. Of the doorway as soon as you walk in there's a balcony far away and there's indians standing there there's wax figures of native americans standing there i've always been terrified of them i refuse to go in that room if i were to go in that room i'd run straight past the mammoth so that i could get to the things where i'd be hidden i wouldn't be able to see the balcony because i thought that maybe if they couldn't see me they couldn't kill me anyway sure. that fear is made worse when creepy faces come into play mm. and the creepy faces in that trailer scared the shit out of me Okay. Okay. And it's what makes me really, really want to see this. So she would not be a fan of the mannequin franchise. No. Let no. me. All right. So <laughs> the I evil. With, so I have Small a copy. Soldiers. I have a copy of the Evil Within. It's a. It's a. It's a video game. It's a horror video game. Um, I have it on PC. The main villain is a big dude covered in. He's covered in blood. He's wanting to kill you. You're trapped in an insane asylum, and you have to like avoid him at all costs. Okay. This guy doesn't scare me. But I was, uh, I was going into like a different area of the game or something like that, and came up, and a loading screen popped up, and the the and there were mannequins all over the screen. I noped all the way to the quit menu <laughs> because now I know that there are mannequins in that game. I have not touched it since. I know that there are mannequins in the game now. It makes me not want to play it. All right, but truth or dare, hot garbage film. Dumpster fire. Uh, I think Tori's got a, 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 a five-star review here, and then she's going to watch it in the theater. Tori, am, am I right? Yeah, uh, I'll watch it in theaters. What about you, Lena? Uh, on Netflix, but only if they riff tracks it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's a riff tracks reference there, John. You know the van. I mean, they riff track it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I watch it. Other than that, no. And I'm going to say that, again, this is going to be another Netflixer for me because, uh, hey, there's nothing better than watching the most cliche of all horror movies happen right in front of your eyes. All right, the next movie we're going to go to is The Terrifier. Okay, so this movie is coming out on the 15th of March this year. I'm very excited. And it's actually um, a feature-length version of a short film of the same name from 2011. And that director made a movie called All Hallows Eve in 2013 that featured the same character. So the it this movie is all about an evil serial killing clown named Art, played by David Howard Thornton. And he's kind of a, a Piero, a P-I-E-R-R-O-T, like the old classic clown in black and white. He, he's, he seems to be completely silent, which, number one, creeps the living shit out of me. <laughs> if you watch the trailer, he's got this really um, grotesque mask on. He's all in black and white. Which I guess makes the blood stain. Pennywise fan, right? Not to mention that Leanne is terrified of French people. <laughs> we don't know his nationality because he's a mute. This movie essentially is about three chicks getting terrorized by an evil clown on Halloween. 
And I am super excited about this movie. I'm going to say there's a, a sort of um, preparation montage in the trailer where he's getting all of his torture tools ready. ready. And it reminded me so much of uh, the scene from Nightmare on Elm Street where Robert Englund is making the claws. So I kind of I kind of like that. I don't know if that was a deliberate homage, but I can appreciate that. Does, oh, does, does he have a popcorn gun or a candy uh, candy cane? <laughs> no, he does not go the killer clowns route. It's more Passion of the Christ. Oh, okay. Mel Gibson route. <laughs> he makes a, um, a little cat of nine tails with scissors and iron gears on it. There's other Ooh, okay. things. That, so I'm like, okay. One stars or flails, stuff like that? Yeah, no. yeah. It's like a flail with, yeah. So I, I really think you're going for like the Piero type because he's silent in the trailer. So it's like sort of that pantomime connection, which I find even creepier because he's, he's like Michael Myers. He's not saying anything. Mm-hmm. So who knows what his motives are, except just being a sick freak who wants to torture. That's what I was about to say. Was it, I, I, I was about to ask, like, is it Halloween mixed with it? Mm. I think it's more like Poughkeepsie tapes. Like, okay. Yeah. Poughkeepsie tapes. Yeah, so it's a little, little, more like just sort of, uh, because I think in All Hallows Eve, the 2013 movie that this is a sequel to, of sorts, that it has videos of the clown torturing people. So I definitely need to see that one before we go see this one. The, the real thing is it's supposed to be really um, disgusting and pushes a lot of boundaries even for people who like gore. We'll see. Not to mention, like, I've got to say that the idea of using a clown as a horror element is something that's brand new and, like, really innovative, and I don't think it's been done before. So that'll be really interesting to see how they incorporate, you know, the happy-go-lucky clown that (laughs) that horror really has touched yet and then brought it into a a, a genre. You know, every horror-like sort of character type gets played eventually. It's like the zombie, and then you have the vampire. And the evil clown's pretty much almost there. But I really thought this was an interesting sort of take on it. It creeped the hell out of me, and I'm, I don't know. In the Terrifier, or uh, Terrifier, um, I hope that they're not dumb, cliche characters. Okay. Oh, I You know they probably will be. I know that they probably will be, but I'm, I, I have hope. I would say movie. I, I'm kind of a double hell yeah on that, because... So you'll be in the back of the movie theater, right? I like to sit middle middle. I like that bar. You know, oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Put your yeah. Up on there. Yep. Oh, that's good that's stuff. I like that spot. All right, there's one vote for going to see it in the movies. John? Netflix. That's still a security check, you know, you know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> Limited budget. So, I already know that I don't know that there are going to be any movies that John would actually pay money to go see. Uh, he, he, he doesn't even have his own Netflix account. He's one of those guys that calls and like, hey, man. You watch Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> What's I'd like to get on there and use your password real quick. <laughs> All right, Tori. I would say Netflix. However, if Liam were to ask me, hey, you want to go see this in theaters with me? I'd probably say yeah. Hey, Tori, you want to go see this in theaters with me? When does it come out? March. Yeah. All right, and next we have, for film number five, Patrick's favorite here, Hellraiser. Judgment. Mm-hmm. Hellraiser Judgment. Hellraiser, I'm going to tell you guys, is one of my favorite, favorite movie uh, genres or uh, horror genres that's been in there. Pinhead is one of the best characters that I think's ever been developed, and I love what they've done with them. Although I will say that this movie here, I'm going to go ahead and, and make the prediction that it's going to be in the terms of like Hellraiser 5. The problem is, Pinhead is supposed to be a 
demon from another dimension who doesn't have morals. He completely lacks morality, so the fact that they call in this movie Judgment in the first place makes me go, oh my god, we're going <laughs> to try to turn this into something that it's not. No, the dude gives you the box, you open the box, you agree to his contract. His contract is, would you like to feel pleasures and pains that you've never felt before? You say yes, and guess what? Torture and everything else exuding from that. Not so much in this movie. What we're getting in this movie here is this idea that, okay, Hellraiser is now the somehow moral being who's going to sit there and judge upon you based upon the sins that you've committed and the rest of that stuff. No, screw that. I just want a guy who's completely devoid of all sense of morality who's giving you an option. And the option is, would you like to feel things that you've never ever felt before and experiences that you've never been able to experience before? Yes or no? So... I just want to say that that although I have such, such high expectations for this movie, uh, I'm going to tamper them down about ten notches <laughs> because I somehow feel like they're going to turn this into some moralistic journey of, of this guy actually raining down judgment on the evil, and that's not what it's supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. Hashtag not my pinhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not my pinhead. All right, we're using that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, would, I would add on to that and say, like, um, the the point of the original and even the, the book the hellbound heart is that you have to seek these experiences out pinhead doesn't just show up at your front door it's like well, getting involved, well, no it's like getting involved with the mafia it's not gonna happen by accident <laughs> <laughs> so in the like in the movie you see the people there's like frank in the first movie he finds the box he's he's sick of all the things he's tried and he's seeking out these extreme experiences he he has to go to these great lengths to get a hold of this box and pays a great deal of money for it or you know whatever they exchange for for the box um, but it, from this trailer, it seems like it's become more of sort of a black and white, uh, almost like a, a, a Christian type of like heaven and hell dichotomy thing, which is, it's not about that. It's about extreme experiences. The whole point of the pinhead from the get go was that it wasn't a good versus evil. And that was the, that was the, 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 the genre bending that it was supposed to be doing, right? Pinhead wasn't a good or an evil character. He was a neutral character who was offering you something. There was no good there. There was no evil there. It was completely devoid of all that. So here's the thing. It, it, it's, it's a movie, and this is a trend in all movies nowadays, right? Take something that had a cult following from the 80s and from the 90s. Let's reboot it, revamp it, and let's spin it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you that, in my opinion, you've got about a 20% success rate of that actually happening. Okay. Um, some really good examples, I think, would be uh, Rob Zombie. When he decided to redo Halloween, you got a actual new original interpretation from an artist who took the story of Michael Myers and turned it into something that we wanted to watch. You have a lot of other ones, too, though, where, where they come out there and they say, hey, this worked in the 80s. Let's throw some fucking CGI in here, mm. and it's really going to work now. And at okay. the end of the day, it ends up just flopping. Okay. Uh, and judging by the trailer for this one, guys, if you watch it, it's CGI heavy. Um, I mean, part of Pinhead was that gore aspect of it, right? Because you, the 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 they try to show the pain and the 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 you know the brutalistic aspects of it. Um, I feel like CGI is probably going to ruin this movie. Okay. Yeah, I, I I see where you're coming from. So. Yesterday, like I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I finally saw the first two uh, Hellraiser movies last night after watching uh, after watching the ju- uh, trailer for uh, Judgment. 
Just so everybody knows, Tori is on a horror podcast, and she just saw the first two Hellraiser movies for the first time last night. Yes, I know. I'm very behind you guys. I haven't seen a Friday the 13th movie. I haven't seen a Halloween Which movie. One? Just so everybody knows, Tori has just admitted that she's not seen a Friday the 13th movie or oh, a Halloween however, movie. However, however, my husband did let me know earlier that Stars has all the Friday the 13th movies, so I know what I'm doing when we're done recording this right now. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, Just so everybody knows oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> that she knows what she's doing after we're done recording this podcast. Oh, my God. Anyway, so watching the trailer for Judgment last night made me go and watch. Finally, like, uh, don't kill me, Pat. Hmm? Finally made me bite the Just bullet. So oh, my God. Tori would not like me to kill her after she makes her next statement. <laughs> it made me, for lack of a better word, bite the bullet and go watch the Hellraiser movies. I, I had been avoiding them for a while because I didn't think I was going to like them. I liked the look of Pinhead, but I didn't think I was going to like the movies. They were not what I thought they were, and I fell in love. Mm-hmm. So, after, but I feel like with the trailer for Judgment, showed a lot of gore, <laughs> and I think that's really the only reason that I'm going to like it is for the effects and for the gore, and that's about it. What do you think, John? Well, my problem is, like I said, it's like, it's like Friday the 13th movies. Oh, they keep doing it over and over and over again. It gets to the point where it's, it's either repetitive or it starts drying out. Like you said, the original movie was fun, or, or now they're going to change the whole, the whole uh, concept of Pinhead into like a, some sort of like a Angel of Judgment, you know, like it put a pop up thing. I mean, it, to me, it kills it for me. I'm sorry, but like, as he says, about pleasure and pain, and it, you have the choice whether you take the box or not. Now it's like it's like it's like a Christianity, you know, revelation thing where it's like you will be judged on your sins. The whole whole concept. It's like it's one of these movies where it's like uh, the first few movies are okay, but after what, fifth movie, sixth movie, That's seventh right. movie, eighth movie, it gets repetitive. It gets all they, they do something that totally against what the original concept of the character was to begin with. It's like at this point, you're just milking it. Yeah, basically, yeah, you're trying to... The, 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 I hate when the, franchises milk, do that. Yeah, they milk the, the, the blood out of the cow, you know, basically. You know, get all the money out, you get out of the situation. And it's so unfortunate, especially because the original series, like, sort of took the whole it changed, religious changed. imagery and, like, subverted it. Like, yes. he's wearing a cassock, he's wearing a priest cassock, but his nipples are flayed. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know that. The old thing, the old thing, the old thing, the old... Yeah, and it's not, he's got the discipline and like, lives in this austere place like a priest. Yeah. And that's sort of like... Even well, it's part, the whole religious uh, uh, imagery, basically, essentially, you know, you think priest and you think, and the, it's the first whole concept of it. It original at the time. Unfortunately, like I say, one sequel, two sequels, Three sequels, four, five, four, five now. I mean, uh, so like, five, I like the Friday Thirteenth original series. It's got to the point where it's like, how many times can s- s- someone go to Camp Crystal and die? How many times can you know? It's uh, they're killing the whole concept of it. The fact is though that that some of these reboots are good. I mean, I think yeah. what they did with Jigsaw last year was a, a good revitalization. Yeah, we liked uh, it. I it was, was a good, it was a very good end, but it still left me. Oh, it still left a lot of questions for me, and I'm actually hoping that they don't make any more Saw movies. So they're going to make more Saw movies because they left it wide open to make more Saw movies. <laughs> yeah. But it was a decent reboot. And, and it hear, was. Hear me out. Hellraiser had the same problem that a lot of these movies do. Uh, and I'm going to say this as a general concept for every movie. As soon as you see that a movie is coming out in... 3D. Uh, 3D. 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 3D.
3D after a movie title. You know that it's done, and that movie is going to be Pat crap. just said that 3 is a letter. Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah. She got Boom, I'm calling, I'm calling me out on stuff. For anybody listening, <laughs> Tori, who's on a horror podcast, just saw Hellraiser for the first time last night. That doesn't negate the fact that you thought that 3 was a letter. 3 is a letter. As a matter of fact, for uh... Romans, it did. It was Romans, it was. No, 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 no. The Romans, no. it goes with letter. No, no. John was alive during Roman times. The old crucifixion thing, you know, hey man, it was this business yeah, thing. <laughs> I am on the fence about this because I'm, I'm excited to see it. I think it could be a good reinterpretation of the series. Mm-hmm. I, I hope they don't take it in the direction of like the the good versus evil. Because he really is an, an, an amoral character. Amoral. He doesn't have he's a moral amoral, compass. Basically, yeah. He's completely devoid of humanity, so... Yeah, he's, he's deemed no. dimension, what he expect? Yeah. Le- he's the head of the Order of the Gash. That's what I liked about Jake Saul, was they kept John Kramer the same. I mean, technically, technically, when Jake Saul showed John Kramer, it was a flashback. Spoilers. But... For all the executives in uh, CNBC, we're talking about John Kramer... Not Jim Kramer, the <laughs> stock picking expert. But like, really same thing. Good distinction know. to make. Even though technically, even though technically in Jigsaw, the the scenes with John Kramer were technically a flat. How many times can I say flashback? That? Oh my god, <laughs> that's a blooper. Black bash. Flashback. It was a flashback, but so that really meant that it was. It started like in the beginning of the Saw franchise, but at the same time, they're making they made this movie in 2017. They could have changed a lot, but they didn't. That's what I can really appreciate about um, reboots is if they keep it the same concept and they rarely, barely change anything. And with that being said, I will say that uh, we're gonna roll it up here. I'm going to say that this will be a movie that I watch in theaters as much. Is I look forward to being disappointed with it. I'm going to uh, to suck it up. I- I'm going to withhold paying John the uh, penance that we give him for this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He'll have to rely on eating cat food or whatever it is. That he does yeah, 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 you know, we know what happens. And I'll, sure. see this, I'll see this in the. Film. I'm gonna eat fish off your meatball. What are you talking about? Cat food, <laughs> John. Well, uh, like I say, though, it's. John's not going to watch it in the theater, by the way. Strangely enough, if, if I go with somebody, say a group, for example, I'll go. However, by myself, uh, to see it, no. It's no fun by yourself, no. Watch out for the GoFundMe account for John <laughs> to go watch Hellraiser Judgment. I go to movies by myself all the time. Yeah, but still, still like I say, I no, I, it's no fun for me. I'm sorry. I have to agree with John on going to see judgment in theaters with friends i pr- i wouldn't want to go see that alone if i were to see it alone i would be watching it on netflix all right and leanne i am probably going to end up seeing it in the theater if it is released in the theaters because it may be direct to streaming who knows uh if, it, if it's released in the theaters i'll go see it with patrick because i love him and yes oh. don't lie he's gonna hold pins to your head with a hammer at the ready if you don't go that got really dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really dark. Hi, I'm Tori Hague. I'm really dark. Or I'll hold hidden pins to her head if she does go. I will say, in the beginning of uh, the second movie, I watching Pinhead become Pinhead, I was like, oh, okay, calm down. 
Jesus. <laughs> you nailed the head. You nailed it, then, right? Mm. That 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 one made me go. Oh, yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> 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 All right, we've reached the interview portion of our show here on the podcast. It's coming from inside the house, and we are fortunate enough to interview our very own Tori Hogg. Who it's not is, how you say my last name. How do you say it? Hague. Hague. <laughs> I work with her. I can't even do it. I don't even know that. It's okay. I've been getting your last, uh, your last name wrong. Since <laughs> I met you. Uh, you guys can find her at Joe Raves SFX. Uh, that's her Twitter handle and her Instagram, and Instagram handle. Yeah. Yep. And she is an SFX makeup artist, as well as a director of a indie horror film right now, and an actress in an indie horror film, and the perfect person for us to interview during the Women of Horror Month here in February. Uh, Tori, welcome. Thank you. Hi. Yeah, yeah, you're here all the time anyways, but welcome yeah. to the show. <laughs> uh, first thing I'd like to kind of ask you is, uh, you know, what, what got you into this whole genre? Like the genre of horror in general? Yeah, like what? What? what, what my mom. <laughs> how was it your mom? So my mom used to brag. Um, uh, she used to brag and credit herself, quote unquote, credit herself with my love of horror because the only movie that she would watch while she was pregnant with me was Interview with a Vampire, which is one of my all time favorites. <laughs> so. Um, was there something about that movie? Because I, uh, you know, Interview with the Vampire specifically had like the young girl who was like turned vampire and kept mm-hmm. as a doll. Mm-hmm. Do you think it had anything to do with it? Or? No, I just really like vampires. Oh, okay. I think vampires are underrated. I love vampires. All right. <laughs> um, like Twilight version vampires? <sighs> I'm gonna I will take this mic and show it up your ass. <laughs> um, so. My mom showed me Interview with a Vampire, and I loved it, but I didn't really delve, I, I didn't even really delve even more into the genre until Devil came out in 2010. Okay. I saw it, I don't know how many times, in theaters. I still have my ticket from the first time I went to see it, and I need a physical copy, and I feel like that movie was terribly underrated. I feel like it had, I feel like that movie had a twist that no one saw coming, because I didn't even see that coming. So, what was the twist? I'm not spoiling it for people who haven't seen Devil because they think it's so underrated, and they're just like, "No, it's a shitty movie. It's a great movie, okay?" All right, so you watched Devil, and uh, that that got you interested in horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so, what that's that was a turning point. So from there, like, what 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 branched you out? You think? Saw. Okay, Saw. Saw. Um, I, I you know what? I actually used to have a, a tiny tiny obsession with the Final Destination movies and the Paranormal Activity movies. I don't know what it was with them, but that th- those movies are what made me kind of lean towards like the demon-ish aspect of horror. Sure. Which I uh, which I was fascinated by demons around that time. I had a slight obsession with demons. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> that's how you you got into it. Like, what what made you decide to get a part of it though? Like, what was the turning point? Because, uh, you know, a little bit of background, if you guys didn't watch our, our Genesis episode, 
Uh, you actually originally started out as you wanted to to be a neurosurgeon, and you still yeah. do. I, I I still do because I was going I was going to college to be a neurosurgeon because I don't know why. Um, I I well you know what I do know why I was going to college to be a neurosurgeon because I suffer from I'm very open about this. Uh, I suffer from severe depression. Uh, it's crippling whenever I have a huge episode of uh, a huge bout of depression. And I had I had it in my mind where if I went to school and I became a neurosurgeon and I figured out why or if I at least worked with people who with others who suffered from depression, um, if I could work with these people or do something and I could figure out why this was happening then I could help myself. Um, so I was going to school for neurosurgery, but I had to drop out because of funds. Sure. Because <laughs> even community college is terribly expensive for people who don't make a lot of money like I, like I did. Why would you say uh, neurosurgery over, you know, psychology, psychiatry, or, or something like that? Because everyone does that. Everyone, okay. every, I'm, I do not follow trends at all. Everyone's a, everyone studies psychology. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And I didn't want to, I, did not want to study psychology or psychiatry because everyone does it. And I did not want to be a nurse okay. because everyone, everyone is a nurse. I'm not knocking them. Like I'm not knocking psychology and nurses. Like they're, like they're absolutely fantastic, but I, I don't like being a part of the norm. I don't like to follow trends. I don't like what anyone else likes. <laughs> so, so then you get into the, uh, watching horror movies and things like that and actually finding out that you have a like for them. What, what do you think was the, the, the catalyst that moved you from being a fan of horror into to wanting to do something with it, wanting to advance this genre, wanting to be a part of, of, of the entire horror culture. The fact that the fact that I don't like to I don't like other things that people like combined with watching YouTube videos of SFX makeup really brought it out for me. I was a late bloomer with horror, so there's a lot of FX artists that get started at 14. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, like, really big on Instagram. But that did start kind of late for me, but... How late was it when you when you first started? Uh, so, so ask me, you know, tell me if I'm leaving here, but so you watched it, you liked it. Um, were you already somebody who, who was interested in makeup? And then you made the leap to, to FX makeup, or...? I didn't even get started in beauty makeup until I was 18 in college. Okay. I had never done beauty makeup at all. Um, I think 18, 19, I had started dabbling with, like, foundation and stuff like that. You know, actually being a girl. Um, and then... So... My family is a big art family. My grandfather used to sandblast pictures and uh, quotes into bricks. Like, you know, those uh, bricks where you walk up to like a museum or something and there's like, you know, in memoriam or, you know, bricks. And sure, the ones that they sell for people too is, hey, if you want to be a donor to the museum, if you Yeah, want and then they lay those bricks down in the mm -hmm. entryway. He used to do that. He used to sand, uh, he used to sandblast um, pictures into rocks. Um, I have a rock in our bedroom, like our current bedroom. Um, that I've had since I was a baby. It's there's cat in a hat sandblasted into it. Oh wow! And painted. Um, my aunt is an art teacher. My mom, she painted sometimes, but she was a big she was a big um, math person. Um, 
and the mid- I have three. Uh, uh, there were three sisters: my mom and then my two aunts, and then the middle sister. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Patty, if you're listening. I think she dabbled in music a tiny bit, but she gave it up. She was also like a big school, uh, big school person, not really an artsy person. I could be wrong. Okay. Um, so there's a big, uh, and then I did music. I did music first. I, I was in band from sixth grade to until I graduated mm-hmm. high school. Um, big music person. Um, and after high school, I I have not touched an instrument since high school. Uh, it's been f- almost five years. Um, so since I, when I was in college, I stopped playing my instruments. I still had that creativity aspect that I needed to express somehow. I can't draw. <laughs> I, I'll tell you that right now. I cannot draw. Um, and I could paint a little bit, but I needed a guide to paint. Um, and once I started uh, watching Mikey, AKA Glamangor on YouTube, I was like, that's it. Like, I don't know what, it, I don't know what about the horror aspect it was. Well, I mean, you know, I liked horror and I liked, I liked the makeup, but I needed something, I needed a different way besides drawing and painting, which I, can't do very well i needed a different way to express my creativity and so what would you say is like the thing you know is you follow this person what was the what was the one image or the the one uh the one real thing that you said okay this is where i i'm going to change from from what i'm doing and i want to pursue something like uh, fx makeup like what fx makeup i saw that really did it for me yeah what what made you decide that what, what what's the thing that made you grab uh, your makeup kit or made you go to the store and buy what you had and say, I'm going to try this too. Mikey had done a look where I don't like the movie Frozen, but this one really captivated me. She did a look where she was Elsa and she was frostbitten. Mm-hmm. And ever since I saw that video, I watched every single video that she did. And I was like, this is cool. I want to do it. Um, I know it's going to be hard to get started, but at that, well, at that time I was still living with my aunt and uncle and I had three jobs. So I didn't have a lot of time to play with makeup, but I moved here and that's when I started. Okay. So once you moved to Fayetteville with your husband, uh, then you decided to, to really break into it. Um, what was it for you that, that like, what, what helped you break out then? I mean, for, because there's a lot of FX makeup artists out there, like you said, uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook and, and all the rest of it. Uh, there's a lot of people out there trying. How did you find your way to get into in really breaking into the genre the best way you could? It was because of the fact that I had left three jobs and I came here with no job. And my depression, my depression was at its worst. Um, and there was, there was a, there was a bad episode that I had and the ther- and the, uh, the, I think it was the social worker. She told me that I need, you know, I either need to, you, sh- you know, you should get a job or you should find something that you like to do. So that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to try it now. So I ordered the most basic supplies off of Amazon. So what was your first thing you ever did? Oh. And I could tell you you're really excited about sharing this with us, but what, what was it? Well, the first thing you ever publicly posted publicly posted yep it was a broken nose 
Okay. It was just a bruised up, bloody, broken nose. Nothing like actually done to my nose. Like no, no, uh, I haven't, I hadn't, uh, like made it look like my, my nose had shifted, just bruising around the nose and blood coming out of it. Okay. That was the first thing that I publicly posted. And, you know, what was your reaction from that? Like, it, it, did it help you drive on at all? Did you, did you get a reaction at all? Or, or? I think I got like a small reaction. I think the majority of the reaction was like, whoa, like you do that? Like, that's what, why are you doing that? Sure. And that, I think that was really the only reaction I got. So what, what kept you driving then? What, I what? thought I was good at it. <laughs> well, and not too long, not even a month after I got started in make, or not even a month after I did that bruise, I Googled haunts around here and found the Devil's Playground. Okay. And I said, I want to at least, you know what? I emailed Stephanie and the- Stephanie's the uh, owner of Devil's Playground. Yes. Amazing lady. I love her. Um, I had emailed her and I vaguely remember uh, writing in the email, I want to learn. I didn't go, I didn't email her saying, you know, I want to do makeup and I think I'll be great. No, I emailed her and I said, I want to learn. I want, I'm a, I'm a big learning person. Like I want to learn stuff. Um, and I wanted to learn from what I thought was the best of the best. Um, little did I know that um, there were some issues with makeup artists in the past. Well, it's not like big issues. It's not like terrible, but um, yeah. But there were things in the past that she was dealing with and they made a little bit skeptical of, of you know, taking on a, not even a protege, but but somebody who who's kind of tiptoeing their way into a, a new career or, or a new hobby. Yeah, she, she, was, she was very welcoming. Um, I told her, like, you know, uh, I told her, everything that I wanted to do. And she was like, okay, yeah, let's see what you can do. And then we did the, the very first thing that I did with them was an Easter egg haunt, an Easter egg event. Mm -hmm. And that's when I first met DB. Um, DB is our wonderful host <laughs> of this show. Yeah. Um, we did the Easter, the Easter uh, event. And I, the very, very first thing that I did was I turned my husband into a zombie. And I was like, holy crap, this is exhilarating. Right, and that, I had that, to- That's great, but what was the first thing you did with uh, makeup? Oh, with makeup? Uh, I mean, I'm just kidding. I, I assumed your husband was always a zombie. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that, was really, that was really my first big makeup thing that I did was that Easter haunt, sure. the Easter event at the Devil's Playground. And from there, like, is that when you, like, what, what did you do to build your, your social media presence? Like, when did it become something to you that you saw, like, okay, this is more than just a, a pastime. Like, this is something that I really want to pursue. It took me, uh, it took me until, it took me until the uh, haunt, the true haunt season later that year to be like, okay, I want to start doing this for Instagram specifically. Okay. Um, because I, I, I had made an Instagram account for my makeup and I started following all, the, all these other artists who were actually trying to do it for a living. I hadn't, I hadn't even decided that I wanted to do it, that that's what I wanted to do for a living. It was just a hobby. But then I was like, wow, 
these people are talented. They're big. People know who they are. That's what I want to do. Okay. So once you got on the Instagram, um, what was it like for you as a, as a young um, FX makeup artist to, to build that profile? I mean, how did you go from, from I'm posting to myself to actually catching, you know, followers and people who are, are actually supportive of what you do? Can you ask that again? So once you once you decide to start going on Instagram, mm -hmm. right? You're you're making your art public. You're making what you do public. What was it like to to build from the ground up? Like what what you know? How did you go from I'm Tori posting the the very first you know starting to post pictures of my SFX makeup artist art on Instagram to actually building a following? It was the fact that people from all over all over. Um, even outside of the United States were seeing my work. And I think that was another, that was another driving force for me to keep going was the fact that I was, that my work was being seen by people outside of the United States who had a bigger following than me. They were seeing my stuff and they were liking it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, a little bit of the validation and that's part of the, the power of social media is that Definitely. when you get people on there who have, you know, huge followings who, who you yourself respect. Definitely. Uh, they come on there and they say, okay. I, I've made a good couple of friends who I have never even met. I've made a good couple of friends because of FX makeup on Instagram. I have a friend in Texas named Crystal and I have another one in Florida named Ellie. And I've got a, I've got, uh, I've got even more in that small handful of friends. Right. Um, so let me ask this then, because we're talking about Instagram and, and we're talking about Facebook and the fact that social media is such a powerful tool, mm -hmm. um, especially for young artists, uh, for young creators of, of content, uh, you know, even what we're trying to do here with the podcast, uh, what's splice that with the idea of, of censorship? Because censorship, I know, is, is a big deal nowadays. It's something that a lot of people talk about. Um, and really, there's a lot of folks on Facebook, there's a lot of people on Instagram that are having their artwork reported. They're mm -hmm. having their artwork, you know, essentially uh, being being flagged as offensive content. Mm -hmm. What do you say about trying to, to trying to fight the fact that what you're doing is a form of art uh, versus having folks who come around and are looking for people who do what you do just so they can try to remove your content from the internet because they disagree with it. Well, I mostly have to agree with the fact that there will always be people who don't agree with what I do. I've, I accepted that a long time ago. Um, it, being or trying to grow, especially on Instagram, is really tricky. Um, people, there are other artists where there was there was one artist recently, David. He um, had his uh, he had his account deactivated because someone reported it. It took Instagram almost a year. Uh, he had to, he was fighting with Instagram for almost a year to get his account back. He had millions of followers. His work was absolutely fantastic. And just because I think I could be wrong, because one or two people reported his work for nudity. He had to fight Instagram for almost a year to get his account back. It just just like that, a couple of reports of nudity was what was all it took to get the to get the account taken down. You know, and I think that's something that's really important to to look at. That as artists are trying to get themselves out there, and as we're using these wonderful mediums, you know, these these uh, social media platforms that that are are there's never been a time in history when somebody, you know, in the in the 
the living room of their house is able to create something amazing and get it out to so many people so fast that at the same time we have people who are out there and looking around to try to report something mm-hmm. because they disagree with it how do you how do you how do you see that like what, what, do, what do you see as the uh, the balance there between what is actually offensive and what you see that people are going around and trying to report as just because they don't agree with what you've chosen to do they're all trolls it's not the fact that, oh, I think it's real. I don't believe that that's not makeup. No, they know that it's makeup and they're reporting it because they can. Um, I mean, so it really comes down to a censorship issue. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's and, a big and, problem. And, and well, who wins this issue, right? Is it the people who are the most offended get to decide what can and cannot be seen? Or, or where do you where do you find think that the balance is? Because obviously nobody nobody here is advocating that people can actually post truly mm-hmm. offensive you know photos or you know, things that that cross uh, certain taboos or certain lines. But what do you do with an art form? We're losing right now. I'll just be blunt and honest about it. We uh, us FX artists are losing right now. Instagram is owned by Facebook. And that means, all right, so Instagram showed anything, any posts that were made, they showed them in chronological order. Facebook bought them out. I, I think that might be the right order. Instagram, yeah. yeah. In, uh, Instagram went from having a chronological uh, order of an algorithm into a most liked algorithm. So if someone you follow or what you're trying to say is that, that whoever was getting the most clicks was getting put on top rather than exactly as the content came out. Exactly. And with their newest update, their newest update is even is an even lower blow. Basically, Instagram is indirectly saying if you want your work to be seen, then you have to pay for it. Okay. So if I were to post if I were to go online on sorry if I were to go online on Monday at seven o'clock which is my best posting time in day if I were to go online at that time in day and post a great photo that I think is absolutely amazing fucking killed it and it doesn't get a good amount of likes in 10 minutes it will be pushed to the bottom of everyone's feeds and it will never be seen, which is really discouraging because us artists, we spend hours working on ourselves or someone else, and we're so proud of it just for it to be pushed at the bottom of the feed and no one sees it. I have 260 followers, and on a good day, I get 50 likes. And a lot of that, you think, is because uh, they're, they're actually pushing your content to the bottom just because you're not one of the, the top tiers. Whether it's intentional or not, that's basically it. Yeah, it's the logarithm. Yeah. So, you know, what, what do you think is the solution to that? Because, uh, I, I, you know, these are these are actual real issues that a lot of people, especially a lot of content providers, are, are talking about right now. That if you don't pay to, to quote-unquote boost your post, uh, then you're, it's not going to get seen. Um, you know, obviously, doing a piece of work that that you want to get uh seen it, it isn't making you any money so there, there's no reason for you necessarily to try to boost that post right. are, are there other platforms out there that you think are going to arise from this to, to maybe try to combat this um or, or you know what, what's the what's the solution sadly 
The only solution that there is, is that Instagram and other social media platforms like Twitch, well, let me rewind. Twitch is the only one, the only platform that, well, that I know of that actually listens to their content creators. YouTube doesn't do it. They're not listening to their, they're not listening to their create, their top creators. Instagram is not listening to us. They're not listening to uh, anything that the even bigger artists are saying. Bigger artists that have millions, like 15 million followers are even being pushed to the bottom. So the only solution that we have right now is hoping, sadly just hoping that Instagram and YouTube will listen to us when we say, we're being treated like shit. And, you know, maybe that means that there's actually a, a void in the marketplace for somebody enterprising and, and something new to come out there. Uh, you know, it, we've seen that YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and some of these models that, that started off as solicit people who wanted to provide all the content that, that's made a lot of, of, of what we're trying to do here mm-hmm. uh, blow up are now tra- starting to ignore it mm-hmm. uh, in the name of... of a, either censorship or, or, or B, just because it's not fitting the right logarithm or you're not giving them enough money. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that there's a way that, that possibly there's, there's some young entrepreneurs out there who are going to create the next competition to the Facebook, the next competition to the Instagram, the next competition to the, the YouTube in which free people know that they can get there and it, that, that logarithm has been reset and then now get the, the new younger generation plus you know ours to get in there and say, hey, this is how we're going to start creating new content. And we're, we're going to hit the reset button on, on what has been a model that worked well and is now broken. I, I hope that there's a solution like that. I, I know that for, for YouTubers, there's another platform that some of them is switching to besides Twitch. Um, there's uh, some other platform. I don't remember the name of it, but there is another platform that some YouTubers are, um, are switching to just because they're treated better over there. It starts with the V, uh, v I think. Um, YouTubers, some Instagrammers too, I believe, but we're m- mostly YouTubers are turning to Patreon, yep. which is um, where um, these people can go set up, a, uh, I guess, a link, and people that want to donate to them so that they continue can continue to make more content, they will donate. Um, YouTubers are switching to that. I don't know too much about Instagrammers going to Patreon. I know that Instagrammers that have a YouTube channel are going to Patreon. I know a few. Um, and going back to, is there a solution? There is a solution. Um, if there is a artist that you follow, you have to support them. You have to like, comment, and share their photos. You absolutely have to do that, especially on Instagram. Instagram has it to where if you don't like or comment on an artist's photos, you will not see them anymore, even if you follow them. However, like even though when you click the follow button, that means you want to see their content. But if you're not like, if you are not liking or commenting on their content, you will never see it again. I think an interesting part of that too is that uh, there's there's now uh, reports that are breaking out from uh, you know organizations in Korea, China, and uh, even in the U.S., where people are gaming the system now on YouTube, they're gaming the system on Instagram, they're gaming the system on Twitter, they're gaming the system on Facebook, where you have these huge networks of people 
who spend their entire day creating nonsense, liking, sharing, and then clicking on that nonsense, and they're all starting to get paid for it because they mm-hmm. figured out the algorithm mm-hmm. rather than actually letting the marketplace set itself out and you know letting the the best show mm-hmm. and shine. Uh, they're they're sitting there and they're, they're gaming what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I think what you said is important there. Uh, my, my big question, I guess, would be then, what do you see is the future uh, for these social media platforms if they don't change? Like, how do we... Because I believe that people are going to go to where the good content is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, if it's not YouTube anymore because what starts happening in your YouTube feed is you're, you're getting junk, where, where do we move from there? Uh, because the fact is that there's a lot of great people out there, and, and I agree with everything you said, that if you're not constantly getting those things, mm-hmm. then you're not constantly getting. But, but what's, the next, what's the next generation of that? There's two ways that this can go. YouTube and Instagram will continue to push their content creators away and they will not change. And those content creators just fall flat. There's nowhere else to go. Or something else will come up. Actually, you know what? There's three ways. Second way is something else will come up that those con- that these content creators will go to and they'll actually grow because they're treated like they should be. Or hopefully, which is the only solution that we have right now, is like I said, hope that Instagram and YouTube will listen to us and actually make a change. And I think it's important there too is that, you know, these happen to be the, the, the big names that are out in the game, but uh, you can only you can only treat people so, uh, you know, away for a long time and, mm-hmm. and until things change. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I completely agree with you that there has to be a manifest change in what's going on with the way that social media content providers are treating the people who are keeping them alive, mm-hmm. you know, i.e. the content creators. Uh, Donald Trump can't keep Twitter alive for the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's anecdotal and it's something we all laugh about, but it's true. Mm-hmm. That man, every time he, every time he makes a, a, a tweet, regardless of, of whether you support him or not, he generates millions of dollars for that company. He does. However, there's a lot of people falling uh, behind here and, and a lot of the, the new originality that they really kind of pulled off of when they started that I feel like are starting to kind of get pushed down to the to the nether regions of their sites uh, in terms for the for these, you know, the one, two, three dozen actual big content providers for them. I have only had one experience where I was pushed, see, well, seemingly pushed to the bottom. Um, there was one post that I made. I don't remember which one it was. There was one post that I posted and I, this was when I had posted this when my Instagram account was a business account. Apparently that's a big thing. Um, that's a big deal. Um, it was a business account and I had been posting my, I had been posting my hashtags in the comments. So I made this post and I went to t- test the shadow ban and I was and that post was shadow banned. I don't know why. Um, I figured out how to get rid of it very quickly. Um, shadow banning is when you apparently, you make a post and you violate a very tiny, tiny rule, such as using too many hashtags, tagging too many people or something, or something, something tiny and minuscule like that. And if people, if there, if people don't follow you, they will not see that post at all. Doesn't matter if you're a, pub, a 
public domain. It just doesn't matter. Um, and the problem, the big, I can understand that to a point, but the problem with that is that Instagram does not let you know when your post has been shadow banned. It does not let you know when your whole account has been shadow banned. I literally have to go to a different website. I have to Google Instagram shadow ban tester six point something. And I have to use that website to see if my stuff has been shadow banned. And that's not how it should be. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I mean, as, as a terms of use, I think they owe you that. They do. Um, if you violate, yeah, exactly. If you violate a rule, uh, a, a community guideline of Instagram, yeah, you sh- you need to be notified, but not for something that minuscule as as using too many hashtags, or at least notified. In period. I mean, exactly. If, if they're if they're if they're banning you for your content, then you should probably. It, receive something that says, hey, this doesn't make it through because it violates, you know, rule 1.3.4, subsection C, yeah. violation 2.957268, mm-hmm. whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I completely agree with you. Um, you know, I, I, I think this is actually a major problem that, that's really going to start becoming into the the, the public high, uh, the public presence here. Uh, sooner than later mm-hmm. it, it, it is what it is right now because most people say hey okay i've got to have my twitter i got to have my instagram i've got to have my facebook mm-hmm. um but if they keep acting the way they are at this point i feel like we're going to have to find new outlets uh sooner than later in order to to continue what is really a revolution of of content being pushed out over the internet that lets an enormous amount of people and as a matter of fact everybody in the entire world who has a connection to the internet be able to pick and choose mm-hmm. what they see as good content. Mm-hmm. So, with that thought, uh, it's a bit of a dire one, I know. Uh, this is Women in Horror Month uh, on February. What would you say is the one thing that that you know, coming from where you are, and from the genesis of you deciding to kind of get it, jump into this genre, to moving to the SFX makeup. To, to getting involved in the podcast and even more than that, to getting involved in the movie and everything else you have, what would be your advice uh, to, to, to young people everywhere, not just women, uh, of, you know, how do, how do they break into the sphere? It's not a bad thing to keep going if people tell you you're not good enough. I... I... <laughs> I haven't gone through the situation where someone told me that I'm not good enough. I haven't had that. But I have had a couple people ask me, like, why why the hell do you do that? Like, that's weird. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. It's okay for me to be weird. I've been weird my entire life. My name has an E at the end of it. Come on. <laughs> it's... You're going to get people... You're going... You're going to have people tell you that what you're doing is not okay, when in reality it is. And you just have to keep going. You can't, you, you have to accept the fact that there's going to be negativity, especially with FX makeup, there's going to be negativity surrounding what you do. But you're a fucking artist and you're good at it. So keep fucking going. That's what I've been telling myself. The one quote, really a quote, but someone once told me, I'm from a small town uh, e West, sorry, west of Charlotte, called Gastonia, North Carolina. Tiny, 
tiny town. You can drive through the entire town in 10 minutes. Someone once told me, I, I had made a Facebook post talking about the film, The Dying Curse. And someone commented and said, it's not... It doesn't happen a lot that someone from a town as tiny as this to go out and do something that big. This is roughly what roughly what he said. Um, that's that's what keeps me going is that I came from such a tiny tiny town, and I'm doing something like this huge. My aunt said to me the other night, "I can't believe all of this horror stuff has." Okay. My aunt said to me the other night, I can't believe all this stuff with horror and what you're doing has taken off so quickly. And it has. In the two years that I've been, in the, yeah, two years that I've been doing this, it's taken off so quickly. I'm directing a movie. I'm doing makeup for a movie. I'm doing this podcast. I'm doing a skit. I am creating characters in my head. I'm doing, I'm actually expressing my creativity the way that I want to, instead of bottling it up and just being a work rat for the, for the, not really for the government, but for the, for the rest, for life. I don't want to do normal things. I want to do the weird things. And that's what keeps me going. And it's okay to be weird. And it's okay to keep doing what you're good at. It's okay to be weird. <laughs> It's okay to keep doing what you're good at. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think those are probably two of the biggest takeaways we can take from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, wherever you are out there, you know, look into people like Tori, who I personally know and everybody around her knows to be a special person, and keep driving on with what we do. Because this is bigger than any social media outlet. This is bigger than anything else. What we're doing is creating content, entertaining people, and that's what keeps us going. I'm going places, bitches. Tori. <laughs> Appreciate it very much. Uh, I think this is probably the perfect interview we could have had for the Women in Horror Month. And I wanted to say thank you for being part of this podcast. Thank you for being who you are. It's an honor. And thank you for hopefully getting out there and inspiring lots of women men and everybody else alike to, to getting out there and to pursuing their dreams. This has been part one of our two-part series, Trailer Trash. Please stand by if you like what you hear for part two coming very soon. Thank you very much.